Welcome to Political Zach, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, oh, not too much, Corey. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. So, uh, week before last, the legislature completed the, uh, the interim legislative session. And I wonder if you can give us an update on that. Yeah, so we had a special session, which wasn't all that special, but um, um, just a, as a little bit of a background, um, our general session starts in January and runs through the beginning of March each year, and that's um, 45 calendar days. And then um, beginning in May and going through November, but really December, um, we meet once a month uh, in what we call interim meetings. And if and when we have a special session, we almost always do them on the third Wednesday, which is the regularly scheduled interim meeting. So that's what happened in May. We were all going to be there anyway. And then when um, the difference is um, when we're in an interim meeting, we're usually discussing bills and topics for next session and getting bills ready for, you know, like, you know, January of 2024. But when we do a special session, we can actually pass a bill that takes effect, you know, immediately or as soon as the governor signs it. And so um, we, the governor called a special session. Um, the, the proclaimed reason was the, uh, the flooding. And uh, we had put $5 million in the budget um, uh, for flooding. And we added like 30 million more because we got a lot more snow than we were expecting back in January. Um, and then when you have a special session, there's always a couple of tack on bills. So we had a technical issue for uh, fire, you know, firefighter, firefighter benefits for a firefighter who dies in the line of service. Um, we had passed a bill by Representative Wilcox that inadvertently said that uh, people that are here legally on work visas or student visas could not possess a firearm, like to go hunting or, or whatnot. And so we tweaked that and there was one other technical issue. Um, and then one of the new exciting things that came out of the session was um, there was a bill that said we were going to have a water czar uh, as well, actually a Salt Lake Lake Salt Lake water czar, and uh, that person has been named and it's someone um, I know pretty well, and he's uh, been a former director of the, um, the Department of Natural Resources, and he works up in Utah State, and uh, I'm trying to give his name. Brian Steed. Brian Steed. So he's worked also with, uh, I think he's been acting director of BLM in Washington, D.C. Great guy, very smart. And I think the advantage there is um, once he's confirmed by the Senate, we're going to have one person uh, for the whole state where we can direct all the information and kind of take direction. Um, is it absolutely necessary that we had a Salt Lake czar? Probably not. But I think... Um, I don't think this was on anybody's radar politically three years ago, and I think this is an effort to keep it on our radar for the next, you know, 20 years. Not that it'll be Brian Steed that long, but just having a great Salt Lake Czar, I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep it in the forefront of the public's attention for, for, for decades, I think is the hope there. Yeah, nice. What if you can answer for us? Um, so the, as part of the, you know, interim, they, you all named quite a few issues to be studied. Yes. And just here's a, just a few that popped out at me. ESG, that's the environmental, social and governance um, stuff that, uh, that we've, we uh, run into so much now. Non-compete restrictions, like whether or not there should be non-competes. And of course, the Biden administration is trying to eliminate all non-competes across the board. 
um, which doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, even if it does make sense in some some context. But housing affordability, affordability taking a look at the recent um, legislation and the impact, which I think is actually it is very imp impactful. But anyway, can you help us understand like what does it mean to study it and what's the point and where you know where does it go from there? Yeah, so this is um, this is kind of our work sessions over the next six months um, where we, again, kind of come up with, we can do something called a committee bill. And so each interim committee, so I co-chair with um, John Hawkins in the house, I co-chair the judiciary um, interim committee. So, so we picked four or five topics that we're going to study, which means we'll have some experts come in and testify to us about it. But we're also studying it with the intent that we're going to draft some legislation uh, that will be run next January. And so a lot of people don't realize it, but the very first day of the session, um, we'll be on the floor of the Senate passing a bill through the Senate, th through the Senate, and the House will do the same thing. Those are bills that were developed in the interim and usually had unanimous support. And then we'll be voting on those the very first day of the session. So they'll skip a committee um, during the, you know, th that way we're, we're priming the pump for that first week of the session. Yeah, yeah. And is there a couple issues that you are priming the pump on personally? Um, well, yeah, like, uh, well, last year expungement was one of them. This year we're looking at, and I don't know where it's going to go for sure, but um, some states like Texas and Idaho and others, they have formal mediation programs. So let's say, um, well, we had a guy come and testify. So his neighbor had broken into his house and stolen a lot of money. Um, they caught him on the ring doorbell. So the, the prosecutors were all about, um, we're going to throw this guy in jail. He's going to do hard time, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, hey, we don't care if he goes to jail. We just want our money back. So they actually intervened and, um, and they kind of mediated a settlement with this guy. He went, I think he took out a mortgage on his house and paid him back or something. Um, wow. but, but they said, we don't, we don't care about him going to jail. We don't necessarily want him to lose his job and lose his house and lose his family. We just want our money back. And so the idea is, is if the victim is interested and the criminal is interested, actually have a mediation. And most mediations are not face-to-face. -face. They're usually a mediator goes rooms to rooms and tries to work out kind of a, an agreement between the crime victim and the crime offender. And now it won't always mean that they won't go to jail. It might necessitate apology. It might do a lot of things. Um, it's not mandatory, but that's one of the things that we studied at our interim meetings last week. Um, like I said, this has been successful in a couple other states, you know, about 15 other states. And so we're looking at, is this something we want to formally bring to Utah? Now, the story I just told you happened without any legislative mediation program. So it's not as if it can't happen, but a lot of prosecutors, uh, you know, are not in that mindset. They're more convict, convict, convict. Just today, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden announced a deal to raise the debt ceiling. And this is, is a long time in coming. And I thought we'd talk about it a little bit, maybe even give, a, but first start with kind of what a primer on what the debt ceiling even is. What is the debt ceiling? Well, every year the government is spending money. Some of it is on autopilot. So if it's Medicare or Medicaid, uh, if it's Social Security, then those are entitlements. It's mandatory spending, meaning it's on complete autopilot and Congress doesn't do anything about it year to year. It just goes out the door. If you qualify, you get the money. 
And then we have uh, the appropriations every year. So that funds the Defense Department and it funds all of the departments of government. And that's money that's, uh, that's appropriated and voted on by Congress. Those are two ways that money goes out the door. But it actually, under the law, is required that, that uh, the Treasury and the executive branch have authority to take out debt. Because the Treasury obviously is uh, constantly issuing uh, government bonds in order to raise money to pay for the fact that we spend far more than we take in year to year in tax revenue. And so that's the debt ceiling. And every, and, uh, every once in a while, we're going to have to raise it. And these days, we raise it, we basically have to raise it almost every year. So right now, our debt is at $31.4 trillion. And we are going to hit, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're currently authorized to raise it to. You can, take, you can take out that much debt, and we're going to hit it. And it looks like, you know, for a while we were saying maybe June 1st, Secretary of the, of the Treasury Yellen just said June 5th is the, dead, is the drop dead date. In other words, at that point, we no longer have enough re, uh, money coming in from taxes, and we're going hand to mouth. There's not going to be enough money to pay for all of the stuff that's happening in terms of departments, Social Security and Medicare. And so we got to borrow more money. And that's raising the debt ceiling. And Republicans have said, if we're going to keep raising the debt ceiling, especially after Biden went on a, a $4 trillion spending spree last year uh, and the year before, then we need to have some spending cuts. We need to get some, the spending under control. And Biden and the Democrats, their answer was, nope, we're not, going to, we're not going to deal with you. We're not going to negotiate at all. You guys don't have a plan. You're just a bunch of yahoos. And they said this for months, like months, months yeah. ago they were saying this. <laughs> Lo and behold, Kevin McCarthy, uh, everyone has strong views about him, but I'll tell you this, he delivered. In fact, he's delivered each time when it's mattered. And he did it now. So he, he uh, about a month ago, they passed a bill that would raise the debt ceiling and would, would cut spending. It would, uh, it created... Uh, new uh, permitting reforms so that we could build more, especially in the energy space. And it, create, it uh, imposed new work requirements for people on welfare. And it was a legitimate bill. And that took the entire D.C. Uh, uh, world by total surprise. And Biden and the Democrats were like, we didn't think you could actually pass something. And then it became completely untenable for him to ignore McCarthy and Republicans. And so he had to deal. And that's where we've been in the last for the last um, several weeks. Now, House Democrats and Senate Democrats all along have said we don't. Uh, most of them, most certainly the progressives said we don't we don't need to deal at all. They either raise the debt ceiling or not. And here's the thing. Public opinion is not has not been in favor of shutting down the government, which we've done several times. And, and Republicans have taken heat on that. But when it comes to raising the debt ceiling. Polling is showing that 60% plus of, of uh, Americans, both Democrats and Republicans and independents, in fact, independents are higher than 60%. 60% of the population says, yeah, we should cut spending as part of raising the debt ceiling. And so public opinion is on the side of McCarthy, uh, the Speaker McCarthy and, uh, and the Republicans right now. And that's put pressure on Biden finally and the Democrats to deal. And so today they, they announced a deal. And it's not everything that the Republicans put together in their bill a month ago. 
And, you know, it's not everything that I want, but it's a huge landmark success. The fact that um, Speaker McCarthy, which nobody had any faith in him, and I'll be honest, I doubted him, and, but he delivered. And, uh, and now we have a deal, and of course, it still needs to be passed, so it's not over. But where it stands is, you know, we think that a deal, that, that this thing can be passed before the, uh, the drop-dead date of June 5th. And it's a pretty remarkable success, even if the even if the negotiated bill isn't all what we want, and it certainly isn't what I would have voted, you know, would have picked myself. But it's it's awesome that he was able to pressure the president, and with only you know only had the House, you have to have the Senate and the president sign it as well. So it's a big victory today. Well, let me tell you, let me give you a couple of thoughts from me. So first of all, um, one of the criticisms from the Democrats, and I think this was fair, was Republicans want to, you know, compromise, but they only want to talk about spending cuts. They don't want to talk about the other side of the equation, and that's raising revenue. Um, that is fair criticism, uh, and that's accurate criticism. The Republicans don't want to talk about raising taxes right now. Um, second of all, the Republicans voted twice under Trump uh, in, in Congress to raise the debt ceiling without any spending cuts. That's fair criticism. But there's fair criticism on the other side as well. Joe Biden voted um you know uh, under ronald reagan because he's been around that long to kind of hold uh, reagan hostage for some compromises to raise the debt ceiling and so you know what you know what what's good for the goose is good for the gander i guess and you know the the democrats were thumping their chests and saying you know republicans have voted 17 times to raise the debt ceiling i think without without um stipulations or comfort you know or or conditions but you know the, the you know the timing's changed, and, and remember that the reason that was this was such a big deal. And you mentioned the four trillion dollars, but remember after Pelosi lost the House last December in a lame duck Congress session, they came back and they spent you know part of that four trillion dollars, which was uh, fiscally irresponsible. And I think politically, really, um, um, I mean it's legal what they did, but politically, I think it's after you've lost the elections and it's clear that Republicans are taking control of the House, I, th I think it's political malfeasance to go and pass a big spending bill like that. So um, congratulations to the Republicans. I, I also expressed some doubt in Kevin McCarthy. Um, so um, he's, he's, he's shown that he can stand up and, you know, and, and be a true leader. Uh, the other thing I want to say for people, now the debt ceiling's real, the default was real, all of that was real, but Janet Yellen really seemed to insert herself politically into these discussions. And I think she loses some face when she says it's June 1st, it's June 1st that, you know, we're going to go off the cliff on June 1st. And, you know, uh, the Republicans were saying in, in, in the House, we have to have three days to review this before we're going to vote on it. And so we're kind of beyond a June 1st deadline because it's Memorial Day weekend. And, and so as soon as we kind of come up to that cliff of June 1st, she's like, oh, oh it's June 5th now. And so I, I really think for, for people that, um, are skeptical and they don't believe what their government's telling them. I think when she switches on a dime from June 1st to June 5th, I don't think we really know exactly when we hit that cliff, but yeah. that, that, I think that created some skepticism when she all of a sudden changed the date. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I mean, you, you've seen uh, like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan saying different dates than June 1st. I don't think anyone agreed that June 1st was the date. A lot of folks were saying, the first week in June is probably pretty solid. You know, that's sometime the first week of June. Maybe it, may, it might pour into the second week, but I think you're exactly right. That June 1st date was 
it's, it's hard to not look at that as like entirely politically motivated. But uh, so to, to bring this, the, the connection here to Utah, so Senator Mike Lee, he's, he was rallying uh, his Senate GOP colleagues to oppose the debt limit increase without spending cuts. He, he had a letter that, uh, that he put around, and I think most of the Republicans vote uh, signed on to it. I don't think Mitt Romney did, uh, but he's been out front. But um, just today, he texted, though, and said that, that the deal is not good enough. And, uh, and he said that he's probably going to try to block it in the Senate. He said I'm, cuts shocked. Fake. I'm shocked that Mike Lee's, this wasn't <laughs> good enough for Mike. I, and I just say that because, you know, I think when, you know, look at Mike Lee's intentions are good, but I, you know, I, I'm sure that Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and some of those House Republicans are going to say it's not good enough as well. Um, but it seems like, it seems like for Mike Lee, unless he gets every single thing he wants, then he likes to, to play this obstacle game. And some people like that. Uh, he did this last year um, with the religious freedom the, uh, issue. Um, so I think he kind of makes himself irrelevant sometimes when 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 he insists that he has to have everything that he wants. Yeah, and I mean, here, here so here's why it matters. I mean, actually, I, I actually think that Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to vote for it. But, you know, you do have guy, people in the House like Chip Roy and so forth who are, who are going to vote no. And that's fine. You know, vote no. If you don't, if you don't agree with it, vote no. And I think Democrats gonna, will be voting yes. You'll have enough Democrats. Yeah, so I, I think you're going to have 50 to 75 Republicans probably vote no. And if that's where your conscience is, I mean, I think you should, you know, vote, vote your conscience. And I, I think the same thing about Mike Lee. The only thing I'd say is the difference in the Senate is uh, there is there actually is going to be. I mean, we are we are we are coming up against Armageddon if yeah. if, uh, if the debt ceiling is doesn't get raised. I mean, it actually no, is really important it's, that we do that. It's so. not Armageddon because I mean, we've never defaulted on our debt before. We're probably not going to default on this time. It would be harmful to the U.S. We would be downgrading our credit uh, rating. But if we defaulted by two or three days, I, I disagree. I don't think it would be Armageddon. I think it's it hard to be, tell what exactly would happen. And it'd I be a I bad hope, precedent to set. I, I hope it wouldn't be uh, as bad as that. But uh, but you never know. And the reason it matters, it's it's different in the Senate, because if if you if you're going to basically force the Senate to go through all the cloture process or whatever, then, I mean, the Senate can pass something in a couple of days. But if you go through the cloture process, if someone uh, objects, then it's going to take, you know, a week or more. And yeah, so, so I guess I would say I totally understand Mike Lee's position. You know, I, I, I would prefer that he just vote no, not necessarily, um, you know, risk the, the default, because I don't think we know what's going to happen. I, I do know that we know it's not good and it could be potentially catastrophic. So, so any any senator can slow down the process with cloture is that you need the 60 votes instead of just 51 votes. Um, and um, but, you know. If, if Mike Lee is standing alone and, and forces the United States for the first time in our history to default, th there's going to be a pressure that comes upon him like <laughs> he has never felt before. And yeah. my guess is he's going to hold out and try to get uh, somebody to make some concessions to him, and then he'll just vote no. That's yeah. my guess. Trent Staggs, mayor of Riverton City. He's announced that he's running for U.S. Senate against Mitt Romney, whether Mitt Romney runs or not. He, uh, he posted a video that I thought actually was pretty slick, but he says, uh, the only thing I've seen Mitt Romney fight for are the establishment, wokeness, open borders, 
impeaching President Trump, excuse me, and putting us even deeper in debt. Uh, you know, I actually thought that was a decent commercial. He was also on Fox and Friends first. And he's, uh, his, his quote is saying, we saw in 2020, especially, we saw the heavy hand of government. And I was the one that said no and pushed back on lockdowns and mandates. I think that's how he's going to run. Um, you know, I have friends who are absolutely ecstatic to see him, to see the mayor run. I don't know enough about him to, to have an opinion of my own, but I do know that running against Romney obviously is, uh, is going to be, uh, going to be a challenge. I know that, uh, Mayor Staggs right now is, has been in, or may even right today be in DC, uh, talking to some outside third parties to see, uh, see what kind of money he might be able to raise. Um, you know, like probably, probably targeting the club for growth and so forth. But, uh, and obviously, um, you know, Senator Romney has plenty of uh, plenty of folks who don't particularly like his brand of of republicanism. But what do you think, Todd? How do you think this well, uh, plays out for him? You know, I think Mayor Staggs has been a good mayor. He really stood up and pushed back um, during COVID to some of the restrictions. Of course, he was pushing back against the state of Utah, which, you know, I think if you compare us to the other 49 states, we weren't perfect, but we were pretty darn good. Um, I think he got in with that business revival group that was trying to do things during COVID to kind of poke, you know, government in the eye, which is fine. Um, he did run against Mayor Jenny Wilson um, in 2020 for Salt Lake County Mayor. Um, he he didn't do real well. He got he ended up with 42 and a half percent of the vote to her 54 and a half percent of the vote. So he, um, you know, he 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 lost significantly. Now Salt Lake County. Um, you could say, well, that trends um, Democrat, but it doesn't. We, you know, we've we've had other Republicans win countywide in Salt Lake County, uh, including as recently as 2018. Now, 2020 was, you know, a presidential year, and there was kind of an anti-Trump feeling out there. So um, that that year, um, we also saw Richard Snellgrove lose to Suzanne Harrison. So I'm not going to default him. I'm not going to fault him too much for losing um, a county mayor race. Uh, we haven't had a Republican county mayor in Salt Lake County since they went to the county mayor systems, but we we have had other Republicans win countywide. Um, so he has run before. Um, I, I will say this, um, you know, he's going to get some attention just being the attack dog against um, Mitt Romney. I think if Mitt Romney loses to a fellow Republican, it would likely be someone more like uh, Brad Wilson rather than Trent, Trent uh, Skaggs. I, I think it's quite a step from going to mayor of Riverton or of a small, a relatively small town to the United States Senate. Um, uh, not, you know, it's kind of like Pete Buttigieg trying to, 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 to go from mayor to president of the United States. It's not quite that leap, but uh, Pete Buttigieg was a uh, mayor of a, a city a lot bigger than, than Riverton. Um, but in any event, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to criticize him other than to say he's run for higher office before and lost. And uh, if he wants to play the role of the attack dog, I think probably Brad Wilson will welcome that because then that's less than he less stuff that he has to say. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. And we've talked about this before that obviously Senator Romney is personally very wealthy. He also can fundraise as well as anyone in America. And so you. I mean, uh, if the mayor is serious, I mean, at, at a minimum, I think he's got to have at least at least two million dollars to be serious. He has said that he's going to run. He's he's not going to collect signatures. Instead, he's going to go the the convention route. And that makes sense. I mean, it's a lot cheaper and it's probably, a, you know, more more of that crowd. 
I, I assume that uh, Senator Romney is more or less going to skip the, the convention and maybe just kind of give a perfunctory kind of effort, but really just kind of focus on uh, the broader public. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. He didn't skip the convention, you know, five years ago. He did lose the convention by two or three percent to Mike Kennedy, but then he won the Republican primary by 40 percent. Um, Gary Herbert lost the Republican convention to uh, Jonathan Johnston in 2016 and came back and beat him by over 40, you know, like 38 percent or something like that. So our convention results uh, for statewide offices have proven, you know, in the last um, 10 years to not very not be very reflective of the overall GOP vote in the primary. Um, but but let's talk about something very important, Corey, because I I'm one of the few people that still thinks Mitt Romney is going to run for re-election. The more candidates in the on the Republican ballot uh, in June of 2024, the more it works to Mitt Romney's um, um, favor, because we talked about polls last month that said maybe he only had about 48, 45 percent of the vote. So if you've got a Trent Staggs in there, let's say Brad Wilson gets 30 percent of the vote. And Trent Staggs gets uh, 20%, you know, 22% of the vote, then Romney wins with 48%. So, and I think you'll see some other people jump in, uh, but this this could very much so work to Romney's advantage in winning the, the, the Republican primary with less than 50%, which is exactly what Spencer Cox did, um, you know, just two years ago. Yeah, I think that's the right observation because you could also see, you know, years, one, or, three. one or more candidates getting signatures besides Romney as well, too. So yeah, yeah. You, you could have three or four people on the ballot easily. Yeah. So, yeah. So Trent Skaggs would have to do well enough at the convention to advance to the June primary without signatures. My guess is, is that Brad Wilson will get signatures, um, um, even though he's very conservative and did not get served. Uh, I'm not sure that he got signatures last time he ran for the House last year. I don't think he did. Uh, in any event, but I think everybody should recognize that the more candidates on the June uh, 2024 ballot, the better for Mitt Romney, if if he is indeed running for re-election. Yeah, great point. All right, that's it. Thanks, Todd. See you next week. Thanks, Corey. See you next time.